0: Hi, and welcome to the Sheep Show Podcast, dedicated to all things ovine. Thank you for joining me. I'm Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm and Sheep Stud, and your host, this is your podcast to learn more, know more, and achieve more when it comes to shepherding. Come with me as we explore the amazing world of sheep and sheep farming together. I was chatting recently to a podcast listener and a friend. And they said to me, Why do you cull a you? What are some reasons why you might cull a you? And I thought this is a great topic. So, thank you, Beverly Ann, for this topic. So, in this episode, we're going to have a talk about why we cull sheep. And we'll look at ewes and we'll also look at lambs and rams as well to give us some ideas on the decisions that we need to make at, at different times, I suppose, of, uh, of their lifestyle. And, and it is hard because you've got to factor in lots of different things. But to be honest, there's also some really basic things that we need to consider. And um, one of them I, I actually came across recently and I hadn't seen it before in my breed of sheep, so I was quite surprised And I think this probably this ewe is about 15 years old and her teeth were so worn down. There was hardly anything left. None of them broken, but really, really worn down. So I suppose if we start with ewes, teeth, really, to be honest, teeth with all sheep. But you see it often with ewes because they're often the ones that have the longevity rather than, for example, weathers or things like that or, or even rams to some extent. But obviously teeth, missing teeth, worn teeth. These are some things to, to really consider. When I was classing yous recently with Gavin, we noticed this as well. And this was a you with half of her teeth on the side of her mouth gone, probably because she was in a fight or got a bump or something like that. Everything else, her teeth were actually really quite good. But she's only got half half a head of teeth, really. And um, given how important their, their bottom teeth are, to them to eat and particularly to, to sort of break off grass, it's pretty important. So watching the te- teeth of your sheep and making sure that they are in good, sound health. If they're not, then that can be definitely a, a, a consideration to, to think about culling and uh, and thinking about moving that particular you to sheep heaven, potentially. <laughs> Given that we're just out of lambing and, and indeed out of weaning, it's also good to talk about mothering performance. And uh, this can be a reason, uh, perhaps a harsh one, but a reason nevertheless, because these are production productive animals and production animals. So we do need to consider their um their their performance as a as a mother so here are a few little things that that came to me um via a story Gavin was telling me about uh, a Romney breeder in New Zealand and he was suggesting that uh, a used mothering or nurturing ability and protective performance is something that we can measure at lambing time so when we're perhaps uh particularly when the the ewe has lamb. Now we'll talk about dystocia as another separate topic, but this is about really their nurturing protective sort of characteristics. If a ewe stands her ground with her lambs when we're tagging them, as well as her realizing that she's got a couple of lambs, two or more lambs, then this particular breeder rated that ewe as a top score so in that case you know a score of one as a top mother so they identified I've got a lamb I'm going to stand around while you tag that lamb and I've got more than one lamb so I'm going to keep an eye on the other one as well that's a really good protective performance and a good mothering um, ability standing of course to milk and allowing that you to, to milk nuzzling that lamb over to the rear would be another sign um, stomping her feet in our breed, we have a lot of feet stompers, which I always love to just sort of see. Bleating uh, is another great mothering um, aspect that I look for as well. So, are they bleating and calling for their lambs? And I love it when when you, you can, no matter where you are, what's going on, that you uh, has their eye on that lamb, if not their lamb by the, their side all the all the time. So, I think that's just all those things are really things I look for. Um, Going back to the story from Gavin, any ewe that that runs off when we, in this case, this particular shepherd was approaching and um, when they went to tag, if the ewe runs off uh, or takes off, perhaps only with one lamb, then in this particular case, they're getting uh, a lower score. Um, Sometimes this this ewe might even get removed from from the flock. And again, if, uh, if a ewe only has one lamb, they're also removed from the, the flock, uh, as well. So that's, yeah, that's pretty harsh, uh, sort of things to just sort of think about. Uh, definitely. I think that's something to, to think about, you know, uh, if, if for me anyway, if they have had two single births in a row, so they've, they've had their first go and they've had their second go and they're still producing singles. Mm, that's not what we're looking for in a in a red meat production system, so that would be an indication of perhaps that that you need to to sort of move on um, Dystosia would be another element to to think about how much difficulty that you have lambing how much assistance did they need now you do need to take some considerations into 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 um into your thoughts and decision here. Has that you been overfed? For example, if it's a show quality you that's actually overweight, uh, then yeah, it's probably the shepherd's fault, not the ewe's fault. Um, have you been lambing indoors in some countries? So you've got to bear that in mind. You know, I know growing up and, and even my brother, um, he's changed his strategies now, but when we, we lambed over Christmas in, in Ireland, you just pulled everything. You know, every single you needed uh, needed some assistance. Why? Well, because they were indoors in a shed three months of the year and they weren't getting any exercise, no hills, no walking, no walking for water, none of that at all. So therefore, their muscles aren't as sort of adaptable as they needed to be. So they're, they're, they're you know, too lazy to push, if you like. And you got to consider that. So I suppose when you think about that dystocia, you really need to think about what are the environmental conditions around that particular you, and have they have those or are those things to to consider and, and bear in mind uh, as well. Um, abortions would be another one. You know, has that you has had an abortion. And what do you want to keep that you in your flock or do you want to move that you on? So again, that would be something to think about. You might remember for some of the lambing diaries, I had a couple of ewes with prolapses this year. Again, those are on my call list. I'm really not keen on um, holding ewes in my um, system where they've had particularly vaginal prolapses. It's just too risky to, uh, to consider and too risky to, to keep. Um, I know we've talked about this before, but um, other uh health um udder shape other size and the productivity of the udder as well so you know just that you have enough milk to feed the lambs particularly if it's one or two lambs um are there blind teats in the udder um all those sorts of things needed to be need to be considered when we're sort of making decisions has the you ever had mastitis and when you Check the odder. Is that a large lump or a small lump? So, so those sorts of things to, to think about. Um, what's the milk yield of that you looking like? So again. Uh, Are they able to produce the the quantity of of milk that their lambs actually need? And and of course, that links back to to growth rate as well. A lot of these things might be associated with the age of the ewe. You know, and in some farming systems, they will look at a five or six-year-old ewe and perhaps really think seriously about age being a factor. You've got to consider the different breeds as well. So different breeds have different growth patterns and different age maturity and longevity as well so sometimes that's a benefit of a breed or perhaps not so you do need to think about your breed that you're breeding and what the the situation is with that particular uh, you as well late lambers would be another one to consider I know it's, again it's interesting isn't it you know I remember originally thinking well surely any lamb is is better um, the no lamb but late lammers well there's obviously something going on again is it environmental environmental has that you had a temperature a fever fly strike something like that and that could be the reason why she's a late lammer i know i had one late lammer this year and and she's uh, she's gone to to sheep heaven <laughs> So a few things there to think about. Does she raise a lamb? Does she wean a lamb? What's the weaning weight of that that lamb or the lambs that she's got? All of those things. And that, of course, is very much all those things are very much around that mothering or that ability to produce offspring, which is, of course, what we're really, really focused on in the sheep sheep business. A few other things would be, and I've seen this only once and it was quite comical. Does she jump fences? (laughs) Um, or just she push fences? And I have seen a, a jumper once, but, but I, I'm, I'm sure it was purely environmental. She was the only one in that paddock and there was lots of other sheep on the other side of the fence and she just tucked her legs under and sailed across uh, a, you know, a, four and a half foot fence or whatever it might be. Just amazing. But is it regular? Is it ongoing? And therefore you might want to think about removing that sort of, uh, that you, that leads into, I suppose, the disposition of that particular you or temperament. Is she flighty? You know, does she sort of freak out? Is she sort of nervous? Is, is she, and will that be passed on? Will that sort of behavior be passed on to her progeny? If it's, this is a terminal environment, then you know it's probably not an issue she's going to produce a lamb for you um i know i have one in my flock at the moment but she's an amazing mother so and she's just had her first lamb but she's flighty as anything and I'm just a little bit on the sort of crazy side and you know what i was going to give her one more shot and then if she just continues this sort of crazy streak uh, or if i can if i see that she's sort of passed it on then yeah that's uh, that's enough for me we'll be we'll be sending her off to a better place, I think, as well. <laughs> um, then, of course, you've got to think, a lot of people do think about weight. You know, what's the weight of my use, and is that adequate weight for a ew? Well, again, you've got to think about the breed here. Lots of different breeds have huge different ranges of weight. So making sure you're aware of your breed weight standard when you are um, checking your ewes and looking at ewes. And, and does your ew you get close to breed standard? You know, for ours, we our breed standard is somewhere between sort of 70 and, and 90 kilos um, in a ewe. In fact, and I know I've mentioned this before, you know, 90, 100 kilo ewes may not be the most efficient animal. So efficiency would be another thing to think about. What I really mean by efficiency is she's big. She's eating as much as a ram, most likely, how much does she produce? Now, if she's doing triplets and keeping her conditioner condition on her, that's different. But if she's just popping out an average single and she's eating as much as effectively to use, potentially, then she's not efficient. She's not an efficient production animal in terms of producing um, more of her weight in uh, in red meat every single year. So you've got to make those decisions as well. Then, of course, there's all of the structural elements. So in my culling recently, we found a ewe where her pastins had dropped. Now, we were talking here about ewe's, chances are if they're at this stage of their life in that sort of ewe cycle from two years on, their pastins have actually been okay. Otherwise, we'll talk about that when we talk about sort of culling in younger animals but this particular ewe her pastins had had dropped and Gavin was actually saying this happens over over time this happens over over age so looking for that and obviously really being aware that that's not a a good trait actually just going back to the odder the pendulous odder element as well I have a a, one I just culled recently too and her odder was just getting pendulous this is a ligament that's in the odder and it is a hereditary trait. So she's going to pass that on to her girls who also have a potential of having that pendulous or sort of saggy udder. You really want your udders to be nice and, and, uh, and shapely, um, if you like. Uh, other things on structure would be what is their back like? Do they have the sort of the roachy back, you know, the humpy back, if you like? Um, do they have that sort of grip, that devil's grip that you might have heard people's talk about in, in the uh, in the back? And what about her withers or shoulders? We had one that we checked out uh, on the on the weekend as well. And it, it was like um, a horse. You know, when you see a horse, the neck comes down and then there's a sort of a lump, at the back of the neck, and this is where you see that that particular animal has weak shoulders and you really don't want that. Uh, So really watching for that being too withery, I suppose, and and a bit like that horse. Um, If if you were talking to Jason, he would say you could put a saddle on it. So that's the kind of look that, that, uh, again, we're we're not wanting to sort of breed that in, and that would be seen as a potential sort of structural defect, uh, if you like. And then, of course, you are looking at the the feet and um, the hoofs. So the feet incorporate um, placement of feet and gait. So where they place their feet, particularly when they walk, um, how their feet sort of move. Um, is it is it are there twists in the feet? All these sorts of elements. And then any consistent hoof problems. So has, uh, is a hoof torn? Has this particular you got consistent hoof issues? Do they have shelly hoof, you know, where some of the hoof actually breaks off? Um, And again, that can just result in uh, just ongoing issues, ongoing issues with their feet, and therefore they're not going to be as lively as they could be and uh, I've even seen this with with one of my ewes over lambing where she caught her nail on something and, and and ripped off her nail and and that made her just sit down which gave her mastitis she was sitting down so much that gave her mastitis picking up bacteria from the ground so again it's really interesting to sort of see how something like those uh, hoof shoes can actually come from um uh, you know environmental situations but they can lead on to other issues uh, as well that perhaps aren't uh, aren't ideal so those are all the things that for me are worth um, thinking about in terms of culling uh, and things to sort of be aware of um, what is the sort of accepted industry approach is to cull about 15% of your ewes annually. So this way, you, you know, you've place on your property, on your land for that sort of fresh blood, if you like, and your placement flock. Um, and at the same time, you're also making sure that you can get some genetic gains as well, because that would be the other aspect to think about. You know, are there better genetics coming up? And then from that um, genetic um, gross genetic possibility, you, you might be better off with the, with the younger you. Of course, there's always pros and cons. You know, some are you that's been tried and tested and knows what she's doing. You've got to think about the value that that you actually gives you. And of course, that you is most likely going to produce multiples, whereas a maiden may not. So again, you've got this constant sort of battle. But if you are you really don't want to be feeding an unproductive or underperforming you over a year and then finding out that perhaps she, she, she either is barren doesn't get pregnant perhaps or aborts or um worse you have to actually bottle feed lamb which again we do it but uh, it's not an ideal situation they can do it much better than we can they're designed for it after all so we want to ideally focus on uh, focus on that so what about culling our younger animals here? I'm probably particularly thinking of younger ewes. Obviously, weathers are terminal. So from their point of view, obviously, it's good to assess them and see what you see. But it's the younger ewes that we're really thinking about um, as um, should we cull or not. Or for me, basically, I know a lot of people that I talk to, they just say, oh, runner as a weather. And really what they're saying is that you is destined for the sheep market. They're destined for the, for the meat market, not for breeding purposes. And that's really when we say culling a younger you, that's really what we're talking about. We're culling that you for meat rather than for, um, uh, you know, for having that you are ongoing as a breeding, um, a breeding unit. Things to think about here would be, again, feet and gait pastons how they walk, how they uh, move, and and uh, and uh, is that particularly is that you structurally sound? Obviously, back line, nice straight back line, none of the withers, none of the roaches, none of the devil grips, any of those things. You might even, if you're looking at getting good um, confirmation, you might even be looking at the the twist in the back legs. And I know Beverly Ann talks very much about this uh, this twist. So really, what, really good good hind quarter. That's really what we're wanting and, and trying to aim for that. If you're if you're wanting to get that genetic uh, gain uh, as well, um, blindness or cloudiness in the eyes would be another thing to think about. This is challenging because you do need to be careful what you send to. The abattoir, sometimes they won't take animals that have sort of are are blind. So you do need to watch that, particularly, definitely if they're blind in both eyes, the the abattoir will not take that particular animal. So you you obviously need to watch for that. And that can be an environmental issue or could be sometimes a genetic defect as well. If you've kept her, is she barren? Has she had a lamb by the time she's two years old? Mm if uh, if she's a very high quality animal i know i took a punt on one And this, and and she didn't lamb last year. She produced twins for me this year and one, both of her twins are doing really well. One of them is in, in the top 10% of, uh, of growth rate in my flock. Now I just love to see that. And I think, well, in that particular instance, the gamble was probably worth it. And I could afford to carry that unit through, but that's, that's a luxury that not a lot of people will be able to do in a, in a, in a sheep breeding enterprise. What is happening with that young ewe's mouth? How are the teeth placement? You know, is she undershot or overshot in her or overshot in her jaw? Does she have feed mouth? Feed mouth is where you will see that they have grass stains on their chin. Sometimes it's called a dribbler or a dribbling ewe. Uh, and again, this can—it's very hard to know whether this is about jaw teeth, whether this is about their their own sort of behavior around cud chew, uh, chewing their cud or is this uh, um something more sinister so that, does this mean that they're they've got a digestion problem so all we know is it's called feed mouth and i guess i need to do a bit more research on it to, to really explore it in a bit more uh, in a bit more depth uh, as well and of course the feet you know uh, you know the feet issues and pastens, all those normal things you may want to also and i know for sure i have a a ewe from last year that I am still trying to get big enough to go into the meat market. So because that particular animal is so slow growing there, I call her scrawn when I see her in the paddock and she's got a a terrible feed mouth and she's just always dirty and woody looking and she's very, very slow growing. But at least hopefully I can get her to a a stage. She should be ready soon, I hope to, to uh, just color as a as a weather um, you know she's definitely not not uh, breeding material at all and then I suppose the last group last but not least is our rams why do you cull a ram uh, I know one of the decisions I made a couple of years ago after bringing a, a particular group of Rams to a three-day field show Uh, was culling that ram when that ram started to change his behavior towards me. He had experienced, he was quite a a cute little fellow, and he had experienced quite a lot of head um, rubbing at the field day uh, over the three days, and that caused him to get a little bit over-friendly and therefore decided that he would run after me. (laughs) and go to headbutt me well he didn't last very long and he went straight into the meat market and I have no place on my property for an animal like that they need to respect me I need to respect them of course and temperament disposition behavior is something definitely in a a ram being so big and powerful and our breed having horns we we just cannot cannot tolerate it at all um, so really watching, uh, watching for that with, the, so temperament disposition, really crucially important in a, in a Ram. Growth rate, crucially important in a ram. So everything becomes even more heightened and crucial in a ram. The ram is obviously going to have a significant influence on your flock. Yes, they're obviously 50%, but they're 50% of everything, or depending on how how big your flock is, you know, 50% of a mob of 50, if that makes sense. That's a significant impact over the genetic potential of your flock. And particularly when it comes to growth rate, that's significant. So if you are wanting to get genetic gain, if you're wanting to uh, be able to turn off animals, and quality animals. Now, for me, I'm not interested in turning off an animal really, really early because that compromises the eating qualities of my product, having a paddock to plate model and and business, this is crucial for me that I do not compromise eating quality for the sake of growth and therefore compromise flavor, fat covering, all of those things for the sake of often what is just tender, but not very full flavored meat. So I want good growth rates, but I also have reasonable expectations of what that actually would look like. And obviously, given our property, given the, the grass that we grow here and the pasture that we have, which we're always trying to improve, as, as a lot of you are aware, you know, we've got to consider the the, so the the I suppose what's feasible in our growth environment and in our pasture environment as well. And with our with your rams, the other thing to think about is particularly if you are breeding in a a sort of purebred operation rather than crossbreeding operation. Does your ram have good breed characteristics? So they need to meet all of the breed characteristics that you would have a quality animal. So this is everything for your breed standard. This is the weight of the animal. So what is the mature weight of that animal? It should be within the breed standard. What is the pigment like on that animal? What is the, for us, for example, shedding, or this could be, of course, wool. And that could be another reason, of course, to color you around wool defects if you are producing wool as well. So um, for us with the rams, it is about that shedding potential too. Um, So any everything to do with your breed characteristics obviously goes without saying. A ram's feet need to be really quality. This animal is going to be on their hind legs for a couple of weeks, a year. Literally, if you think about joining over two, three week periods, this ram is going to be spending a lot of time on his back legs. His pastins need to be impeccable, absolutely impeccable. They need to be a quality pastin, quality gait, quality foot placement, all of those things. There's zero compromise that we can have In an animal that is going to breed with with the requirements that they actually have. So, uh, we really need to sort of have zero tolerance for for any issues around uh, around feet um, in a ram. So, really, quite important there with with our rams, making sure that that's, uh, that's in play. And their teeth are the same as well. You know, making sure, again, all the quality elements around teeth health. Teeth position, jaw position, all of those things. And of course, with the ram, and I know we've had a, a podcast specifically on rams. So if you haven't listened to that, please do check that out about, about your rams. Obviously testicles and scrotum size, testicle health, no lumps in the, in the tubes. Uh, in the in the scrotum um and and really even scrotum circumference a good scrotum circumference a lot of breeders also focus on the shape of the testicles so ensuring that the testicles have um a definition but no split between the two testicles so watching for those things in terms of our rams that of course we're wanting them to um to to have as well. Uh, other things would be you know what's the susceptibility of all of these animals to everything, whether it's pneumonia, whether it's internal parasites, external parasites, all those sorts of elements. So just general nutrition. Now of course you got to bear in mind a lot of that is going to be environmental. So you know you can't blame you for having a high worm burden if you haven't. Rotated that particular ewe through pasture, or if you haven't done any fecal worm egg counts, you know. So you've got to be aware that a lot of these other things are more to do with the shepherd than the sheep. Even though we do think that if the sheep let us down, you can do a few things with your ewes around making sure that they are they've high worm resistance, and you can do some tests around that. And with your ram. I also test for things like cold tolerance um, and uh, foot rot resistance. So those sorts of things would be quite a useful sort of more genetic indicator that you can measure for your rams. So hopefully that's given you a few things to think about uh, around culling your animals and what to look for to determine when to cull and how to cull as well. And talking of how to cull, we will be doing a podcast on selling sheep soon. And that's really good because everything I've just talked about here is not about culling to sell. If you're seeing a ewe with blind teats, if you're seeing a lamb like Scrawn, for example, that is not a lamb or a ewe to sell. If you see a ram with bad pastons, that is not a ram to sell. If you see a ram that has poor behavior. I saw one recently saying, you know, not good around children. Well, hello. Would anyone buy that ram to even be around any human being, never mind a child? That is not, we don't, we don't need that sort of animal in, in the breeding flock. We actually don't need that animal procreating at all. That animal is actually much better off as fulfilling their desire for um, being a weather and therefore um, and, and ultimately producing meat for, for us as well. So hopefully those have been giving you a few things to think about and good luck culling. I know it's a hard decision, but it is a decision that means that you've got opportunity in the rest of your flock. And also it's about learning and applying some of these learnings to make some of these decisions so that your flock get better and better and better. You've been listening to the Sheep Show podcast with Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm. Please take a moment to share this episode via your podcast app, email, or via social media channels. Each share helps us reach listeners just like you who can benefit from our content. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, sheep well.